Hello, 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 and welcome to the 52-Week Film Project. I'm here with Will, and I do have to apologise to you, mate. We did just have a brilliant opening to the podcast <laughs> for about three and a half minutes when me and Will were chatting away until I realised I hadn't pressed record. Yep. But here we are. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. This feels so organic right it, now. This feels so, this feels so forced now because yeah, we've exactly. just had this whole conversation. Uh, yeah, I, I'm doing really well. Um, we're really sorry. We're really, really sorry that we have not been posting the last week. We thought we'd keep your guessing, you know, but... Um, Tried to, you know, try to keep the interest up. It's like be more mysterious. No, but the, no. rea- the reality is, we both had uh, busy, busy weeks. I was working at a festival all week, and Will, you were at Lake Geneva or whatever it's called. Near enough. Where were you? Lake Garda in the Italian Lakes. It was beautiful. It was lovely. It was busy, but not in the same way that yours was busy. No, you had a nice kind of chill out, relaxing holiday. Yes. And I was working 18 hours a day. But from what I hear, very rewarding. Very, um, very exciting. Exactly. Yeah, raised a lot of money exactly. for BBC Children in Need. Hooray. Hooray. Uh, and now we are back. We are here. Um, we Last time we kind of did this, we said that we were going to review Mamma Mia um, and possibly have my girlfriend Livia on the show. Uh, that didn't end up happening, obviously. Um, Will, you didn't see Mamma Mia. Here we go again, did you? No, I, no, didn't, see, I didn't see, see it. See, I did. I'm kind of glad we didn't review it because it like it was it was rubbish and it wasn't for me it wasn't rubbish in an entertaining way to talk about See, especially my, considering I hadn't seen the first film my mum said a very interesting thing about Mum Mia too she said I went to a cinema screaming and I went you, she went to a cinema screaming she went to a cinema screaming it's always, no. a, good, it's always a good way to start a movie viewing <laughs> dear me um, she went to a cinema screening of it and she said it was rubbish because no one's singing and dancing to the Apple songs and I think that sums yeah, up Mum Mia yeah, too it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's a musical that people sing and dance the songs to and nothing really about the story yeah there weren't but Cher's there weren't, in it yeah Cher is in it and she's there, great there weren't many there weren't many people singing in the cinema mm. um, I know it's meant to be cheesy I know it's meant to be awfully cheesy but it, it reached a point for me where I just thought some of it was so forced that it wasn't funny anymore and it didn't feel light-hearted because it felt like they were trying too hard and that's a shame because I think even though the first one was really cheesy um I I do get a certain certain happiness from it it was it, it for me it was just like a fun film to, to what did Ollie think of it? I'm, in, I'm interested to know. Yeah, she liked it. I think if you've watched the first film and you enjoyed it, you will enjoy the sequel. But by and large, I went with Ollie, her mum, and her mum's sister. Right. And they'd all seen the first film. And they all enjoyed it, but none of them thought it was better than the previous one. And I think a big issue with this film was they axed Meryl Streep. I don't know for whatever reason, like because Meryl Streep is still alive in the end of the first film, right? Yep. Do but you... the whole plot of this sequel centers around the fact that she's now dead. Mm. And I suppose that gave rise to other characters, but yeah, Meryl Streep's great, isn't she? And I'm sure she's the glue that keeps the first film together. I will so... say the first film could be very unwatchable if Meryl Streep wasn't, because she's fully committed to this campy, yeah. ridiculous role and it works because it's Meryl Streep. So I would oh, assume no. that the reason why it's probably not as good is because yeah. of the lack of her. Um but yeah, no. So uh, if I had to give it a rating, five out of ten. Fair enough. Um, but we are back this week, and we have been to watch Mission Impossible Fallout, Mission Impossible Six, Mission Impossible Six. These Mission Impossible films are turning into the Fast and Furious. They, I was thinking that actually because they're getting more and more bonkers. They're becoming more and more comedy based. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're just running with it, and they're making more and more money. So mm-hmm. it is very, very similar to the Fast franchise. Um, but before we get into our opinions on that film, um, we should have our weekly news roundup. The news! That's Ooh, our new thing. That ended on a better note than it started. Well, that was the point. It's a drop <laughs> note. That was... Um, yeah, so Will, what's your, uh, what's your first bit of movie and TV news for the week, mate? What's uh, happened? What's n- going on? News item number one. Um, Netflix um, has recently acquired the rights for George Orwell's Animal Farm. Now, I don't know if you watched um, the Animal Farm animated film back in school or back or just I don't previously. Think so. um, I've like, read the book. Yeah, the book's fantastic. Um, and the animated film we watched in school is a really, really good film, and it's and it's dark and scary, and it looks like kind of the old um, the old Disney pictures. But yeah. that's the point of it. Um, interesting. Directed is by it Andy, Andy Circus, isn't it? Andy Circus yeah, directing yeah, yeah, yeah. it, um, and it's produced by Matt Reeves. Um, 
who worked together on Plan- the Planet of the Apes, Dawn right, of the Apes, okay. all those kind of films. Um, and this information came like literally two days after Andy Serkis was, had, um, had just been greenlit to direct Mowgli as well. Oh, God. I know. I'm just a bit worried I'm about that. I'm not looking forward to that. There's no. a trailer out for that, isn't it? I don't know, is there? Or is it not? Is, no. It's, it's out in I 2019. Thought a, I thought there's a trailer out for that. Has he only maybe I've read it wrong, but maybe maybe I read the. I got it from Reddit. Um, oh yeah, fair. I'm now a Reddit user. Um, oh, are you? I love it. It's great. Get all the goss. I still uh, don't get it, mate. Like I, I like there's a lot of funny shit on there, but I don't understand how it works. All the no, well, I'm I'm still getting to getting to working out how how to use it. But no, yeah, he's only directed one film before, which is called Breathe, which was starring Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy in 2017, and it was it's a what bio- was that about? I haven't heard of that. It's a biopic. I haven't seen it. A it's biopic. a biopic of a guy called William Nicholson. Now I have no idea who William Nicholson is, but I know I know that he got polio at the age of 28. Oh, uh, it's that film. That, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm. Yeah, Do you know the one I'm talking about? I roughly about? remember seeing Andrew Garfield doing something. Like it that. looks like a classically English cast. There's like um, Jim Broadbent in it. Uh, Hugh right. Bonneville did in it. It looks like a classic English English film where two people fall in love. But anyway, kind of point being, Andy Serkis and uh... yeah, I think I think I think it will be good. I'm worried. I think Andy Serkis does have a creative mind. I think At he least knows Tim what Burton's he's doing. not doing it. Oh my gosh, a Tim Burton Animal Farm film movie you would should be... stick to Dumbo, which oh will my... probably do really well. To be fair, that I I cannot wait to see a Tim Burton style. Um, Dumbo dream sequence with when yeah, gets, well, that's, gets that's the bit yes. that everyone's waiting for, isn't yep. it? That is going to be mad. The yeah, rest of the film, cool. yeah, I'll take it or leave it. Um, First film piece, piece of news for you. Uh, well, he, he, going off the topic of kind of legendary male British actors. Um, they finally released the first trailer for the film King of Thieves, which is about the famous Hatton Garden jewellery heist, mm. which was done by a load of geriatrics, a load of golden oldies who wanted kind of one last scan, as it were. Golden oldies. Um, and I don't, have you seen the cast for this? I have, yes. It's mate, got Ray it's, Winston, it, hasn't mate, it? It's, it's Michael Caine, <sighs> Ray Winston, Jim Broadbent, Michael Gambon, Paul Whitehouse. Like, it's just fucking everyone you can imagine. Yep. And then Charlie Cox is in it as well, the guy who plays Daredevil in the Netflix series. That's where I recognise yeah. him from. Playing, playing someone who can see, which is always... Which it must <laughs> He's be, so must be talented and diverse. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, no, but I no, the, think... trailer, the trailer looks really good. It looks really funny. Um, it's a fascinating story. And I think if it's done in enough detail, it will probably be another good Ocean's Eleven-esque film. I was going to say, I think, it, I think it, if, if it goes well, I think, that, I, think it's got, I think it's got a new fresh cast, it's got a new fresh take. I think it could be a lot better than the Ocean's Eight film we just watched. I think it mm. could be a lot better. I think the, the cast of the Ocean's Eight film was fantastic. But the fact that, but it's, the fact that it's, it's based on a real story that is quite iconic and very interesting, like people are fascinated by the Hatton Garden heist. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's got a lot of history behind it, so I think that will work in its favour. And also, just Michael Caine swearing is some of my favourite things in movies. Oh, Recently, mate. just him swearing is great. Uh, what's your next bit of news, mate? Um, this is very exciting for me. It's very close to my heart. Um, so, uh, week two of the podcast, we reviewed Batman Ninja. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. A great yeah. time. A classic. Classic. Uh, classic episode. Uh, could make our readers watch, go back and watch it. It's fantastic. Our readers. Yeah, great. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's we two, got loads of them, mate. There's two two mistakes very early. Um, no, so there is a new Batman animated movie. That's oh, been, is there? That's been, not yet, but it's being released in 2019. Call um, your horses, Jake. I, <laughs> um, and there is it's so What's there's it been called? it's Batman Hush. Now I don't know if you're Hush. No, no, no. Okay, so I no, 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 Jake. So Hush is my favorite ever comic book arc. It was the first one that I probably got into in the Batman story. It focuses on um, a newly developed character called um, Tommy, who is Batman, who is Bruce Wayne's childhood best friend, um, who's who gets introduced in like two. It's like two thousand six, two thousand five. This comic book came out, and it essentially explores all the rogues gallery, the art, the comic book art, some of the best comic book art, art I've ever seen. Do you know who is there? Anyone really famous who was behind it? Um, like Frank Miller or anything. no I can't remember I, it wasn't a I, I think he's now famous in the company but I can't remember He's it, it was a very it, yeah essentially now um, the Hush storyline has has broadened popular culture like he's a he's a downloadable character on all the um, 
what's that injustice games and etc oh yeah, yeah. Like, and the, like the mortal combat exactly the yeah characters. i think he's on yeah, the, yeah, i think yeah. he's on the lego batman games as well i think that he features quite heavily he was in the arkham knight's origin story i think oh cool um yeah, yeah. and it's the comic features a a really interesting in-depth relationship with catwoman um which mm. i know that we kind of like but i remember we, we well played... i feel like i feel like i mean fuck we had that god-awful halle berry catwoman film me and you then also tried to play through the Batman animated Telltale games together and which, Catwoman was rubbish in that. Well, which I recall, I recall Jake saying the point is that we're going to make, because it's a game where you choose where, where you want yeah, Batman you, to become. You and make we, choices and it's almost like watching a film, but you decide the dialogue. And we decided very early on that we want our Batman to be the kind of Batman that doesn't give a shit about Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, like we, we want him to be a Lone Ranger who's not like pulled in by exactly. her feminine wiles. Exactly. And, like an uncorruptible badass. Yeah, I agree. And we fucked it up. No, I will say that the storyline of Catwoman and Batman is much more nuanced in this thing. It's not just a romantic love love story. So all. when's this when's this animated it's, film it's out? It's coming out. It's 2019. Um, before that, it's a, it, DC are releasing three things that summer. Um, what the one of them is a Legions of Superheroes film. Um, one of them is Justice League's. One of them is Justice League's thing. Um, what's interesting? Are they all animated? They're all animated. Right, yes. Okay. So no, um, no huge but, releases. They might be rewriting the wrongs of Batman vs Superman because they are doing the Death of the Superman comic arc, which oh. was which was the Batman vs Superman the creative license exactly from it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that'll be nice to see that done properly. And okay. 2019 summer, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Very, very excited about it. All right. Nice. Yeah. Um. I'm about to squeeze two bits of news into one because I've actually Ooh. got four this week. Cheeky just so I much am. news. Um. It, well, one of them is not really a lot of news. It's just a bit of a remark, really. Um. Venom has a second trailer out now um, and it still looks average. <laughs> um, I, I still think Tom Hardy doesn't really have any range. I think that you get to see a little bit more of Venom and how they interact and it looks really boring, the whole Venom voice in Tom Hardy's head um, trying to teach, like, like Tom Hardy trying to teach the Venom symbiote how to be like a killer with a conscience it just it just looks crap. That's not the Venom film we want. We want oh. that we want an eighteen plus eighteen rated, full on gory, gory like, thing. Yeah. Bring carnage into it. And exactly. It all go absolutely apeshit. It it just it looks too Sony. It looks too PC. It looks generic as fuck. Does it the look color like palette? The... the color palette, the design of it looks so boring. There's not any flair to it at all. It doesn't look creative. It just looks like a by-the-numbers action film from Sony. Why is Tom Hardy doing this to his career? Why I, is he doing because it? Because it's a big opportunity. But the big opportunity um, was Bane, I, I would argue. I think that Bane is yeah, the thing you to build are, oh, off. Yeah, fair enough. Like why Bane, would, he, why why would, would he, he tarnish Bane as a performance in the finale of yeah. Christopher Nolan's trilogy? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. My, that's my main problem, is that... It is, is that I mean, just look at the trailer. It's it's going to be rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, if, it's, if it is rubbish, I've been, saying rubbish. This, yeah. I've been saying this for months. When they first announced Tom Hardy as Venom, I thought, like, I'm going to kind of take caution with this because I don't think he's necessarily going to do a great job. I think they watched him in, like, Taboo and Peaky Blinders and thought he could do a rough around the edges, Eddie Brock. That's what we need. Let's capitalize on him now while he's an A-list. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it's got any kind of style. I think that Venom is the kind of character that if it's going to get a standalone film, it needs to be done in a more artistic, uh, slightly more kind of indie film way, or it needs to be done like Logan was done. And James Mangold oh. should be writing the script. If that, yeah, that should be exactly how it's done. No, I completely agree. So yeah, I just think, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be average. It comes out in October. I'm still yet to be impressed by anything I've seen for it. Um, the other little bit of news that I had was, it's not really news. It's just something really, really cool that's out on Netflix that I've been binge watching. Have you heard of a new TV show called Dark Tourist? I've never heard of the TV oh, show Oh, mate, you, like anyone out there, fucking watch this. It's great. If you're a bit sick of Louis Farouk, because everyone is, let's be real, like he, he, we've we've done him to death. He's a national treasure in the state. He's a national treasure in the UK. Fine, but there are other funny journalists out there. One of them being New Zealander David Farrier, who's doing this new show on Netflix called Dark Tourist, where he explores the dark tourism trade and goes to see just the most fucked up tourist attractions you can see in the world. Oh, wow. So he goes to like 
he goes to New Orleans and explores like the life of people who claim that they're actually vampires. He um, he goes to Colombia to Medellin, which is where Pablo Escobar kind of rose to prominence and meets Popeye, who's Pablo Escobar's number one hitman from back in the day, who killed 250 people, including his own girlfriend. Oh my who's God. Now a, who's now a famous YouTuber. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, and then he does like, he does this one, which like me and Ollie skipped straight to when we saw this show, where he does one in the States, where he goes to this thing called McKamey Manor, which you'll remember, Will, because we looked at the videos for it years ago, it's that it's like the most fucked up haunted house in the world. Oh yeah, the, the one where yeah, pe- yeah. the one where people basically go there for a night and they have to sign all these documents and sign all these medical waivers to say that they're psychologically fit enough to do it. And you could be there for anything from ten minutes to fifteen hours, and they torture you, they terrorize you, they drown you, they do all this shit. Um, and he goes there to kind of experience it. And well, my God, like you, you meet the guy that runs it, and it's really, it's a really interesting show. I like, need to watch it, that. Yeah, mate, go, go, anyone, go and watch it. If you want to watch something really easy but really interesting, and you're a bit sick of Louis Farouk, go and watch this. Good idea. What's your uh, next bit of news? Well, this is not an next bit of news, but it's a thing that we haven't since we've been off air, air for, for a week. Bear in mind, we haven't been able to talk about it yet. We've been on hiatus. Been on hiatus. Um, the new Doctor Who trailer. Oh, is there a trailer? Have you not seen it? No, mate, I haven't. Okay, well, this is interesting to talk about. Um, the new Doctor Who trailers came out. It came out um, after the at the halftime of the World Cup, the first teaser trailer. Do not watch the first teaser trailer. Is it really bad? It's 45 seconds of the companions... Has it got that guy from The Chase on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, Bradley Bradley Walsh is in it, yeah. But it's 45 seconds of the companions looking up while lightning bolts appear. Companions? There's three. Oh, who are the other two? There's Bradley Walsh. I don't know the names of the other two, but um, they are quite young. um, And and, and it's a... Male or female? Both, male and female. So it will be a four-person TARDIS team. Two men, two women? Yes, well, two men, two men, two women, including the doctor. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the new trailer's come out, and I have mixed opinions. I, I, well, you're a, you're a huge Doctor Who I'm fan. I'm a huge so Doctor Who fan. You care more than me. I thought it. I what my thing about it is that I was a big fan of Broadchurch, who which Chris Chibnall, the now showrunner, um, previously did with Jodie Whittaker, and I think Broadchurch works because it's so human based and so based on character and interpersonal relationships seasons, over seasons two and three were a bit wank though I like them both I didn't, did you? I, yeah I like them both I, uh, I think they weren't as good I completely agree I they thought weren't season good. one was explosive like it was one of the best like other than Luther it was one of the best crime things that's come out of the UK but I think the difference is is that season one had the plot was incredible and the characters were incredible I think season two and three rides on the fact that, the heat, that Chris Chibnall knows how to write right characters and continue the relationships yeah. I think that was the problem is that in season 2 and 3 didn't really have a good plot compared to the first one um, my worry my, my hope with this one is that Stephen Moffat um, who I personally think was not the best showrunner for Doctor Who but that is, that is arguable um, t- took away the reality from Doctor Who which was so, which was so important to me um, in the uh, Rusty Davis era as a showrunner um, and I thought Chris Chibnall would bring back some of the grounded realness and look into these characters psychologically. The first trailer, the, when the, tr- the second trailer came out, not the teaser with the stupid lightning bolts, but the first trailer, it looks beautiful. I really like how they've done a lot of special effects. So they've been filming in South Africa, which is really interesting. Because oh, cool. cons- normally they feel in a quarry in Wales, most yeah, of the Doctor Who yeah. seasons. Or and in Cardiff. Some, yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's Cardiff or quarry, or quarry in Wales. Most of Torchwood was shot in Cardiff, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and sometimes they go to America. But this is interesting. They filmed in South Africa in the middle of a drought as well, which is interesting. Um, and I thought the trailer looked very, very exciting, but they are giving, they are holding everything very close to their chests. Good. Um, That's exactly what they should yeah. be doing. And I think... You don't just, need to generate too much hype for Doctor Who. There's no. a market for it. Yeah. Let's, like, like, I think don't do what most trailers do nowadays and just keep it close. People are going to tune in anyway. Yeah, exactly. I just hope that people give Jodie Whittaker's Doctor a chance. Um, I think they will. I, I think so. I think that I think the general consensus now I, is that they are. I tell you what, I couldn't like. I, I really don't care for Peter Capaldi, so I didn't watch either of his two seasons. I grew tired of Matt Smith very quickly. 
Um, the last time I watched it properly was when David Tennant was in the role. I am curious and excited to see what they do this time round, and I will actually watch it. Yep. I'll watch at least two or three episodes and then I'll make a judgment as to whether I think it's worth carrying on with personally. I think that's a good idea. Um, and it's so far so good. I think it sounds interesting. What I want is for them to not rein it in. I think the last few seasons have been pretty tame. I know that's like a, an element of that is the fact that the show has kind of stayed the same level of scary, but people have become a lot more desensitized since like the Christopher Eccleston season. Um, but I do want them to up the ante a bit. I want there to be something in this season that maybe is worthy of them making it a 12 on DVD when it gets released exactly. and, and is actually quite fucked up. I remember when um, I, yeah, when I remember watching the earlier seasons and it's not just the monsters because I would argue that some of Stephen Moffat's monsters are quote-unquote scarier but it's the way they present them and the power they put in the monsters but also the characters' reactions to them. And also the build-up of human relationships. When you when Russell T. Davis was writing this, he made you really care about the companions and have real life stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the companions now, it's just I can't Doctor remember. Who, I can't remember who the companions are in recent yep. years. Well, Doctor Who turned into turned into like a family drama, and I remember everyone used to sit down and watch Doctor Who when it first came out for the first four seasons, five seasons. It was a family thing. I remember everyone used to sit down as a family and watch it. Yeah. And that yeah, yeah, died. Yeah. I think it just got more childish and it's a more fairy tale like. I can remember exactly this is really really vivid actually. I can remember exactly where I was when dad sat me down in front of the TV. We were on holiday, we were in the New Forest. We were staying in um like a like a like a, like a Butlin style resort and Christopher Eccleston the first episode with the dummies, the shop dummies with the guns in their hands, the debut episode of the Doctor Who reboot he sat me down in front of the TV because it was such a big thing for his childhood and I remember sitting there and being terrified mm. and then I remember kind of after getting over it a little bit I realised you know it was actually quite exciting to be a bit shocked and I remember watching like the next episodes after that and I remember that that mental one with Simon Pegg playing like the games master or yeah, whatever yeah. Um, fuck there were just so many good episodes and the one where the one where Billy Piper's uh, tries to save her dad from dying, and all that stuff. Like, oh mate, it was it was iconic. It was brilliant. It was no such one, good no writing. No one thought it was going to be that good. No, um, and, and everyone and was giving Billy Piper so much stick because when when everyone got it, because Billy Piper up to that point had been a teenage pop star who'd never acted before. And look at her now. She's done Secret Diary of a Cool Girl. She's been constantly doing stuff at the National Theatre. Like, they, Russell T. Davis, when he did that show, knew what he was doing, got a great writing team in, and really knew what he was doing yeah. in terms of building the universe. And it has, and I know you're a big fan, but it, it has lost its way. Oh, you're right. You're for right. The, for the average fan that's not wholly committed to it like you are, it's lost its way. And so I hope that they can kind of regain my confidence. Because what happened was, I started filling the void of wanting Doctor Who to be a bit scarier by watching Torchwood. Mm. And then Torchwood got a bit shit. No, Torchwood didn't get a bit shit. It got really shit. Like it was rubbish. Like the, the, the final kind of bits of it. Well, the Miracle Day. Yeah. Awful. Miracle Day was crap cool. TV. Um, I thought Children of Earth was fantastic. Yeah, yes. it was. Um, but it, yeah, and then that got a bit rubbish. And then I sort of thought, oh, well, great. Like what is there now? But no, I yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I think that'd be good. That'd be really good. Um, so now we spent half an hour talking about the news. <laughs> we've spent we've been we've been talking about the news for about twenty four minutes, mate, and I've still got my final bit for you. Um, <laughs> this is this is something that I mean, it's probably the biggest news story of the week in terms of the movie industry, um, the James Gunn saga. Mm, um, I've got a lot of opinions on this. Yeah, I, hope, well, I think you too too. Interesting because we haven't actually spoken about it directly no. yet. But um, I'm a big Guardians of the Galaxy fan. I remember when that film came out, it blew me away. I thought it was one of the most original, interesting superhero films, period. It was the best of Star Wars and Star Wars. I still think it is. Mm. I still think it's great. Um, And then I remember thinking, fuck, I cannot wait for the second film. And I waited and waited and waited. And the second one came out and got really drunk in the cinema with our mate Matt and like just found it absolutely hilarious, even though it wasn't that great of a film. Mm. Um, but I've watched it back since and it was it still holds up. It is very funny, even if the plot's a bit weak. Um, but then the Guardians had an excellent turn in Infinity War. Oh, they were they were the they kind of story. kind of restored my confidence in a couple of the characters that I thought were a bit weak in the second Guardians film. 
And now, in the run-up to the third film coming out, some decade-old tweets from James Gunn have surfaced and since caused Disney to fire him from the project. Um, have you seen the tweets? Have you I read have, any of them? I have not read the tweets. What I, what I understand is, I, you can maybe inform me about this, is that he did those tweets. I, I, I don't know what nature in it, but he immediately deleted them and then apologized. Yeah, way, way back. Way, yeah, way yeah, back, yeah. about 10 years ago. And then in response to... In response to who was it that, that recently there was a person that had there was like a not a Kevin Spacey but like one of these people that got dragged in some some pundit said well if you're going to if you're going to lambast this person why don't you lambast this person and then brought up these tweets again yeah which is the yeah that's and my then, understanding and then once again once again he apologised and sort of just said you know it was a shit sense of humour in a time when I was trying to understand myself and had a bit of a reputation for being a provocateur and and um, yeah the, the, another another classic knee-jerk reaction from a major corporation um, since then an open letter has been written by and signed by the entire Guardians cast um, in support of James and reinstating him in the role um, multiple other industry experts and celebrities and actors have all kind of shared their views and by and large they're all in support of him Mm -hmm. and kind of people just getting over the fact that he you know he made some shit jokes a while back but they're not representative of his real views then or now um i do feel sorry for him I also think that he's a phenomenal director and I think that he's done something that most superhero film directors are incredibly envious of. Um, and he's, I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's, he's writing stories about a group of renegades who are trying to put their past behind them. You can't write that shit convincingly if you haven't got baggage that you've learned from in life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think I think people need to get over it. I think that they need to reinstate him. Um, and I saw something before we started doing this recording about how it's been rumoured that Disney have sat down with him and discussed a possible rehiring. So that's good to hear. That's very that's good to hear that that's happening. I just think that this trial by Twitter culture that we are now in needs to stop. It's it's getting to a point now where. You can someone can bring up anything people have previously said on social media ten years ten years in the past when they've apologized and done it and because of it just if you get enough people behind that Twitter cause their companies have to have to act I don't think Disney wanted to do that I think they I think that the this negative this negative press and media is just getting to such an extent and problems now. In the case of the more extreme things like Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein, well, no, no, but, uh, right. But I, what you're trying to say, I agree with in this in in the sense that we shouldn't be judging someone based on a non-directed, shitty tweet yep. from ten years ago. However, we should completely, if there's evidence and if there's kind of proper yeah, trial, a physical assault or a sexual assault or something like that is has so much more gravity. Yep. But a tweet that is just a shit, a bit of shit sense of humor that's not like being directly racist or homophobic at an individual, we need to, we need to let some shit fucking go. Yep. We need to let some shit go because, you know, you can't, um, while the view, the th- kind of things you said in the tweets a decade ago, back then they were also still offensive and they weren't appropriate. Public opinion has shifted on some of these things and it's made them more undesirable things to say than they were a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And you can't judge these things in a balanced and fair way without kind of assessing that. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to take something outside of the cultural context of him writing that tweet at that exact moment 10 years ago when a lot of things were very, very different and doesn't mean it's any less he no. should be any less culpable but it just means we have to accept sometimes it's like it always reminds me of the um the looney tunes dvd thing do you know about this is it the um 
is that can is that um, Whoopi Goldberg's speech? Yes, Whoopi Goldberg's that? thing. You know, yes. you're right. Yes, yeah. Yes. So for anyone who's not familiar with this, this is a great example of how we shouldn't whitewash history, but we also need to accept that things had a time and a place, and we should judge them accordingly. Mm. And the example here is there was a massive Looney Tunes Ultima anthology collection that was like made and sold a few years ago. Well, no, it was actually like five or six years ago. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's a while ago. But anyway, point being, it has loads and loads of old like archive footage of the Looney Tunes. Some of it, you could argue nowadays, is quite racist, a bit offensive, mm-hmm. not very culturally sensitive. Um, but there's a whole bit. It, you have to w- watch this bit before you go into the special features where it has all this stuff. Where Whoopi Goldberg kind of talks for like 60 seconds on how the stuff that you can see in the anthology would nowadays have not have a place in the world and would be deemed judged very differently but how at the time it was part of society it was something that existed and it was something that was by and large tolerated and as such we should respect its place in history and not either support it further nowadays but equally, we shouldn't act like it didn't happen. You use it as a discussion point to educate future generations about, okay, this is what happened. This is, this is in our society, now no longer okay. Why is it not okay? Why are these things so problematic? Or, but, or why, are these, why are these things um, pertinent, etc. In the, in the 60s, yeah. 70s? I can't remember when the tunes were made. And I'm not, I'm not like, I, I'm not a PR person. I don't know the intricacies of building a public image around a celebrity and making sure that it stays positive and you always have a good narrative going with this person. But I don't understand why seemingly axing them from their jobs and kicking them off projects is the only way to please the public and ensure that someone has learnt their lesson for a past transgression. Why can't Disney take the forward-thinking step of making James Gunn apologise and maybe go through, I don't know, it'd be a bit embarrassing, I guess, but maybe make it publicly known that he's going on a cultural sensitivity course as part of his contract, or just do something like that. Do like, in the media, here are the three or four things that we're doing with James to make sure that he understands the ramifications of his actions and knows to learn from his past. Yep. Why does it have to be, no, that's it, you're out? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. If it's like, out there, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't make it, like, in many ways, it doesn't really make a difference whether you fire him or not. Yep. And it also equates James Gunn to, peop- to previous people that have been sacked, in a way, to people who are less educated. Because yeah. people will just see... Less educating meaning on the issue. Um, people will just see the fact that James Gunn has been been sacked for racism, and then they will and they will equate that to something something worse yeah. instead of um, the punishment fitting the crime. If I, I and I think I think it's very sad that we're in this situation now, where James James Gunn is having to is is essentially being put in the Coliseum ring ring by sh- people shouting at twi- in Twitter. It was yeah. a terrible illusion, but I think he understood my point. Okay. <laughs> a Colosseum ring. Fucking hell. Yeah, because uh, otherwise, Don't lots of other Colosseum. Yeah, I remember those famous Colosseum squares. Um, again, dad jokes. What's happening? <laughs> All right, Ridley Scott. <laughs> um, have you got a bit of news or are we done with it? Are, we are we done, done for it? Are we yeah, done I've with done news beat? Boop, boop, boop. All right, news. wicked. Um, so, film of the week, 33 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> um Mission Impossible Fallout, the sixth Mission Impossible film directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who is the director who did the previous film before it. Maguire. 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 No, it's McQuarrie. It's definitely McQuarrie. Why would I make up a name like McQuarrie? Well, unless... I... Okay, it's... I, I, to be fair, I don't know. I've... Never Hold mind. on. Hang about, hang about. <laughs> Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah, yeah. Really? Christopher, yeah, it's Christopher McQuarrie, mate. Okay, He did enough. this film. It says it on Rotten Tomatoes, right in front of me. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, he, uh, he did this film and he did the previous film before it. Um, before that, they had, I mean, Mission Impossible 2 was done by uh, John Woo, 
Mission Impossible 3 was done by J.J. Abrams, who on 4, 5, and 6, these recent ones, has been an executive producer. Yeah. Um, but he's the first director to ever direct a second film. Um, they've all been kind of new directors other than this. Um, it's getting crazy good reviews. Like, everyone loves this film. Um, what do you think about that, Will? <laughs> well, I think... My first initial reactions on seeing the film is that I was like, wow, this film has one of the most convoluted, bizarre, silly, stupid plots. Exposition. Exposition plots. Plot. From yeah. the start of the film where you get the message and I'm like, the plutonium goes to Kashmir that has... Honestly, this trying to describe the plot of this film is... is Apps. It's it's a hard. It's it's impossible the plot, to do. The plot is. I, I'm going to put it out there and say that the plot is f- fucking rubbish. Mm. Compared, like, don't get me wrong. Mission Impossible films are never easy to follow, but this one, it just so much of it felt like you were watching. To me, it felt like you were watching Call of Duty cutscenes. And there's long. It was, exp- it was layered with just. This is where the plutonium is. This is where we need to get it from. This is how you do it. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. It just, it wasn't engaging in the way it told the story. Yeah. However, it has some of the best action sequences and set pieces you will ever watch on a film. It, yeah, you're, that's exactly what I think as well. It's got, it's just a sense of scale. It's a boat that turned, like a car chase that is like seven car chases and different things and like, and it just get builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and they know how to do action. Obviously know how to do action very, very, very well. I think, I think the high, some of the highlights action wise is that helicopter, there's a helicopter chase at the end of the movie which I, which may be skipping ahead a bit, but it's just it's just breathtaking to watch. It is it is stunning and it's ridiculous and it's just complete nonsense and that is part of the fun. Mm. Um, there's also like for me, it wasn't even the actual like spectacle of the set pieces themselves. It was like the individual kind of like just the hand on hand combat. It was so brutally shot in in the sense that like i mean just little things felt so satisfying like there's a probably the best scene in the film for me is this fight scene in a bathroom at a nightclub in paris where henry cavill and tom cruise have to take down this like japanese agent and they're like washing their hands like with him in between them at like the sinks in the bathroom and then he clocks onto who they are and he starts fighting them and he's really, really quick with his hands, so he's kind of getting the upper hand. And then Henry Cavill, who like previously in the film is described as the hammer, um, just smacks him with his laptop bag in the face. And it's got this satisfying crack. Like you watch it, and like people in the cinema were like, fuck. Like, yeah, it's it, it it's hurts. Really, it, like, yeah, you wince when you see these fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a bit where he like chucks him over the mirror of the middle of the middle of the kitchen, like the bathroom sink and it shatters. And... I will say Henry Cavill is great at doing WWE moves. Oh yeah. Constantly he's he is chucking well. people over his shoulder. Mate, I don't remember him being that big in the Superman films. What I also enjoy is there is a scene, I think it's in the aircraft at the beginning where Tom Cruise and there's a, it's a, um, pro, a profile shot of, the, of Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill talking to each other. And I was like, I guarantee that Tom Cruise is on he a box. He stood on something. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah, just yeah, yeah. stood on something. And then there's a later scene in the etc. They like they can form behind him and it's like they're in high order so that Tom Cruise can look better. I just I just find You it know so there's funny. a I should have I should have brought this up before we did the podcast but there is a Tumblr page called Tom Cruise stood on prop boxes. Do you, do you know about this? It's just, so it's basically try not to spit out your beer. Um, it's basically because Tom Cruise, yeah, he does. He does use kind of like things to kind of prop up his height when he's filming things. Mm. Um, and <laughs> he he, he tries to keep sets as close as possible so that it doesn't come out. But some people in the film industry have made it their mission to snap shots <laughs> of him like having his height kind of doctored for films on sets and they put it on this one page it's like that um what's the other Tumblr page it's um Ed Miliband looking at things <laughs> have you seen that one I have seen that and it's one. like Ed Miliband looking longingly at a donut and it's like shit like that 
it, it's just like that. It is really funny. Like, go and try and find it. Mm. Um, but you are right. He, Henry Cavill is a he's an absolute machine. He his acting is like crap. Like, I didn't, I couldn't tell whether he was British or American or like you. You knew the whole way through as well that he was gonna be a villain. Like, there's no doubt oh, yeah. about it. I'm thinking they even show that in the trailer. I will say that I think I agree that he is not the best he can possibly be. I also think that considering he is the main action bad guy in the film, would we agree with that? Like the guy who does the most of the, not maybe the sinister bad guy, but definitely like... Well, the, uh, sinister, Hen- the sinister villain, the overarching villain fell flat for me. Well, exactly. Because, I so Henry he Cavill was takes, very intense. Yeah, so Henry Cavill takes up the slack of the, the main sinister villain being yeah. not that great. Why would you start the, start the film when, when he's supposed to be the hammer with a scene of him losing losing air in the first sequence, he he jumps out of a plane. To people who haven't seen the film, he jumps out of the plane and gets he's struck by got lightning. Struck by lightning. And somehow survives. Out, somehow survives, and Tom Cruise has to save him. Next scene later, he gets knocked out by um, just a, just a random bad guy. Like I think it's a it's in the in the bathroom scene that Jake was just talking about. I was like, why are you building him to it, be useless? Yeah, it, why are you doing this? And I think that's what where a lot of the problems came with me. It's like, I didn't feel ever in, too invested with him because I've just seen him fail twice. Yeah. I also felt as though I have really fond memories of the last two, um, I was going to say last two Avengers films, last two, Mission, <laughs> last two Mission Impossible films. I remember Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames who play Luther and Benji. Uh, two of the other IMF team members, I remember them distinctly being really, really funny and being used quite a lot in the plot. Whereas in this one, I felt like they, they yeah, they had their moments, but they could have been utilised a lot better. Yeah, they took, they their, they took a back seat in this film. Yeah, they did. Um, and I don't think the right people took the front seat. Also, there was no Jeremy Renner in this one. And I remember, oh. I remember him being hilarious in the previous one. Fun, You know, Will, Will has got his facts. I've oh, got well, fun you, facts got, you got a fact for me, mate. Um, well, this people if people can dispute this, etc. But this is what I've read. Jeremy Renner was offered a cameo in the film, and he was offered in the part of the film. Oh, I, I bet it's to like get killed off or something. No, 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 no. But decided against it because of filming for Avengers: Infinity War. He wasn't in Avengers: Infinity War. What the fuck? <laughs> I read that and was like, hang on. Do they mean that Infinity War Part Two coming out? But that's not Infinity War. No, that's that not. Have, that's that a new wouldn't film. have been shot. I suppose it might have been shot. No, 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 because it said the 2018 Infinity War, which is the oh, that's which ridiculous. is ridiculous. Isn't that so silly? I think I maybe that whether was they. Cool. I wonder whether they actually shot scenes for him in that or not. Maybe they did, and then took them out when they realized because maybe they because if you look at the trailer of Avengers Infinity War, like they have loads of red herrings of what you think the plot's going to be. Yeah. For example, um, Hulk is Hulk or Iron Man is in the big Wakanda fight scene and he's not. He's in he's in a different place. Yeah, they did. They tricked you, didn't they? They tricked us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That. And that may, that, may have been a, that may have been a trick or it may have been they filmed so many different versions of Infinity War and then pieced it all together later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, back to back to Mission Impossible 6, though. Yeah. I think one of the other problems that I had with it was I was expecting it to be kind of like the, like the fourth and fifth installments, like kind of lighthearted and kind of just balls to the wall crazy rather than kind of really intense and sinister. Mm -hmm. But I still have such fond memories of Mission Impossible 3, which was the one where Philip Seymour Hoffman played the villain. And I remember, and I looked it up, I was was like 11 or like 10 or 11 when it came out. And I remember watching it in the cinema with my dad. And the opening scene is when Tom Cruise is kind of tied to a chair and his wife is tied to the other chair. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is like counting down from 10. And he's basically saying like, I'm going to shoot your wife in the head if you don't tell me where whatever it is that Ethan Hunt has got is. And Tom Cruise is like insisting he doesn't know where it is. And he really kind of, it's really, really intense. And then like the film opens with the villain shooting his wife in the head. And I just remember that film being so intense and so like, what the fuck is going on the whole way through it that I kind of feel like nothing has lived up to that for me mm-hmm. since. Well, I uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think a good, a good way to segue into this is that there is two sequences at the beginning of the film. The first sequence is, um, th- is when he, they are interrogating a person and then they want to get 
the there's there's been a faked nuclear tra- attack, which which in the beginning of the film we think is real. We think that Tom Cruise has made. Him, I'm not even calling him Ethan Hawke. I'm just calling him Tom Cruise. He's not even Ethan Hawke, mate. Who's he? Ethan that's, Hunt. That's a completely Ethan different Hunt. actor. Ethan Hunt. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Ethan Hawke's an actor. Sorry, Ethan Hunt. Um, uh, Ethan, we think that Ethan Hunt's made a mistake. He's and the, as a as a result, millions of people have died. And I'm I, at the beginning of the film, I'm quite shocked. And you see Wolf Blitzer, who's the um, prime anchor for CNN reading this out on the news um, and one person laughing and saying like, the only w- way I'm going to get, um, the, only, the only way that I'm going to give you the extra information now that I'm captured is if you read our manifesto on live TV. And they read it on live TV. It's a really scary moment. And then the walls, the walls of the, the hospital bed, which he is in, fall apart and it's all a set. And then Simon Pegg takes off this stupid, stupid mask and it was all faked. And you realise that, yeah, he's been punked basically. Yeah, exactly. See, I, I just that's, I, I, that's not all, that's not all that got from me was uh, oh clever. It didn't have any real lasting impact on me. But do you think? And it w- some of the previous like, like almost heist style moments of the mission films have been like, whoa, like what the fuck just happened there? And I just don't think any of it connected in that way for me in this film. Do you think that the problem that Mission Impossible has going forward is that there are now six Mission Impossible films? So they're kind of, I think maybe, because the films I've watched most recently are four, five, and six. Do you think they're becoming a farce and a sort of comment on what Mission Impossible films used to be? No. It's like, I, a, like, like, it's like a joke. It's like an action film that's metally knows it's an action film so we're playing no, to that I don't audience think so. I don't think so I think my issue was actually the opposite I think that they seemingly on the press tour and the way they kind of scripted the film they've tried to make place quite a large emphasis in this newest film on the character development and the kind of understanding the conscience of the characters and the relationship between Ethan Hunt and his estranged wife and all of this and I think they thought they did it really well. And some reviewers think they did it really well. But for me, it, it the whole emotional side to this film was so flawed, didn't really have any impact. I didn't connect with any of it. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I wasn't drawn in by any of the kind of wife narrative. And I, I thought it kind of felt like an afterthought, but they think it was a really important integral part of the film. Yeah. It was at its best when it was just ridiculous. Yeah, it and was. It, I, I think that this film tried to be emotionally powerful and also balls to the wall crazy. And I think that this franchise is, there's inevitably going to be another film now, even though Tom Cruise is fucking 56. Is uh, he 56? Yeah, he's 56. Oh my god, he's um, probably shrink- shrinking at that age as well. <laughs> and he's got dodgy, and he's got a dodgy ankle now, hasn't he? After that botched oh, jump, seeing which is, that, the, which is in the film. Quickly seeing that in the in the film, I didn't realize. I thought it would be a shot of it happen, and then it would be like a different cutaway shot or something. You see, you see the reaction. Stagger away. You yeah. see the reaction of the stagger away. That's incredible. Yeah, That's yeah, incredible yeah. that he still acts through. They that. didn't. They didn't show the actual uh, shot of his ankle breaking though. No, but they showed that on the Graham Norton show like three or four months ago. If you want to go back and actually watch it, they do like a slow mo zoom in of like watching his ankle bent. It's gross. It, look, it looks like jelly. Um, do you know that um, that cost um, the company that made this film eighty million dollars? Yeah, because they shut down production for eight two weeks. months. Yeah, eight, yeah. Think about ago. the think about the amount of money that must cost. Think about the amount of money that must have got into getting his ankle fixed as fast as possible. Like when when Ollie broke her ankle, it, I mean, it's still a bit dodgy, but it took about six, seven months to oh, heal. Oh yeah, and he must have like two months. I still think is a fairly long time, but he must have been fucking fast tracked through every possible like like per like top dollar rehab process available for exactly. a bro- for a broken ankle recovery. Can I tell you a fun fact about another waste of money they've spent in this film? Go on, mate. Henry Cavill's moustache oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, cost on. the film $3 million because he was, refil- he was filming um, he was refilming scenes for Justice League because they had to do lots of reshoots and he had to have a moustache in the film and so they paid Warner Brothers paid Warner, they paid Warner Brothers to say he needs to grow a moustache can he grow a moustache in, the, in these, in these um, scenes? How silly. Three million dollars for Henry Cavill's moustache. 
Yeah. No, no, it's, it's like, I tell you also, what, he looks damn good. Yeah, he does. He, he does look cool with a mustache. Actually, yeah. it kind of adds something to him. Do you know, it, it adds a mustache, but like, <laughs> it should just. Do you think? And I, I, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I personally don't believe this. Do you think that because of the so many positive reviews for this film, people are going to think that Henry Cavill could play Bond? I fucking hope not. I hope not as well. But I, I think don't, there, I, like, I think there I, is an like, argument that people could. Don't make. get me wrong. I find him a really entertaining popcorn actor. But I am yet to be impressed by anything I've seen him in. I think he does a really good job of playing a badass in this film, and like mm-hmm. his fucking like reloading his arms thing is just going to be like talked about for years. But he, he it, it was a shit like it was a shit acting job, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think he was very good at Superman. I don't think he, the closest thing to Bond that he's done is the Man, Man from, from Uncle. Uncle. And again, like, I know you thought it was really good. I wasn't impressed. Mm. Uh, and if that is his trial run for Bond, my God, like, I'd rather bloody Eddie Redmayne played James Bond. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It, the thing is, mate, I, I, my theory on the whole Bond thing is that Daniel Craig's going to bring out another film at the end of next year or the start of 2020, um, which means that we are about four and a half years off from the debut of whoever is the next James Bond. So who knows where the culture so, is going to be and yeah, the context exactly. is going to be. And, and, and yeah, like, that's true. Well, like people that we're talking about potentially being Bond now, some of them weren't relevant a year, a year and a half ago. So for all we know, the person who's going to play Bond either has been earmarked but hasn't made it massively into the limelight yet or is someone that we just have no idea of yet who is yet to be a famous actor. Yeah, because until we thought that Daniel Craig was going... When we thought Daniel Craig's last film was going to be Spectre, there was going to be there was speculation before. And, I, and then after that, Taron Egerton like, has been considered recently at very, very But high now rate. he's taken the Robin Hood role. I saw the trailer for that. I really want to see it. So yeah, the Robin. Really yeah, good. yeah. Actually, the Robin. The Robin Hood film looks really fun. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, it looks t- really, I took really against good. it originally. I was like, they're making another Robin Hood film. How many times is this gonna? But Jamie yeah. Fox is in it. How how the fuck could you not want to watch it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just, anything with Jamie Fox in is great. Yeah. Um. Anyway, no, it's impossible. No, no. You, just on the side note, oh, yeah, Bond, yeah. the bookies favourite that I thought would probably be the best fit was um, what's the name of the actor who plays Loki and did Tom Hiddleston Tom Hiddleston I thought he would have been good I think think that they can't they can't take someone like Tom Hardy they can't do a brutish Bond because that's they need to they need to reinvent the wheel because Daniel Craig's been the most aggressive Bond we've had there's not I think it wouldn't I don't think it would work if you went down that same route again I think we need to go for a slightly silly, suave, Pierce Brosnan esque Bond. Yep. Now. I think yeah. Take away the sexual politics of Roger Moore, and but and then make make like a Roger Moore slash Pierce Brosnan silly but still fun and actiony Bond. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then maybe doing what Mission Impossible used to do in Mission Impossible two, three, four, and five is silly, action-packed, crazy stuff. Um, that isn't six and tries to take itself too seriously. Exactly. Yeah. Um, have you got a favourite moment from Mission Impossible 6? R- Fallout, I mean. I think my favourite moment probably was the helicopter chase just because of the st- stunning scenery. Um, I love I love the fact that it's all of Tom Cruise's own stunts. I find that incredible. I know that he had to like train for that really, really hard. He was training in, um, hang on, I've got the fact somewhere here. He had to train to like in a military wind tunnel, like with um, with gale force winds to be able to even do that helicopter stunt. <laughs> See, I, it's so impressive. Like he's so committed to it, but I still hear things like that and think, oh, he's such a twat. Oh no, I do not like Tom Cruise, <laughs> but I find it amazing in a film that he can do the things he does because it it adds a sense of realism it's like when he's on the motorbike motorbike through paris i saw i think i spotted one was shot. he was is he actually how much of the motorbike scene is him well i am usually quite good at spotting like i kind of do it as like a little mission to myself to try and spot, spot what's him and what's spot not. the stunt double and i thought he did most of it there was one shot where it was definitely a stunt double but i think the rest of it and it's usually when he's speeding around corners because that's like less of less of this, like that's going to be less of a problem as opposed to him going at like 100 miles an hour and ducking and weaving through exactly, cars yeah. yeah um but i think i still think it mostly is him and 
don't get me wrong, I've watched too many Scientology documentaries to to <laughs> to think that Tom Cruise is the best guy in the world. But um, <laughs> yeah, but he's I a bit of a creep. Yeah, a bit of a creepy man. But um, he, apparently he's amazing to work with. Knows knows who every, knows every single person's name on the set and um, does his own stunts. And I think in a films film franchise like Mission Impossible, that's really important because it adds it makes. The film, if the, if this film did not have good action sequences and Tom Cruise did not do his own stunts, it wouldn't have a lot to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. Do you know what they call him on set? No, they call him TC. Hey, TC. I have a friend called TC. That's that's really weird. I have a friend who exclusively called TC, and that's going to really and that, that's going to taint me for the rest of now. <laughs> Every time I think of TC, you can just imagine Cruise. him. You can imagine him in his trailer with like a gym to the side of it, with all of his like henchmen, kind of like. All of his cronies working out. Hey, TC, you're doing great, man. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, I, um, I mean, this is a private thing for another time, but just Tom Cruise's private life, I just find bizarre and uh, yeah, very it, terrifying. It's um, yeah, it is shady, isn't it? Yeah, some of the stuff that you hear. I'm a big fan of um, Leah Remini, um, who is a person who's doing lots of documentaries about her time in Scientology. She was one of the people who was a celebrity Scientologist. Oh really? She was a comedian on a show called Kings and Queens, um, and she was quite famous and then famously about two three years ago um remo- removed her and her whole family away from the church of scientology and has now been doing being doing lots of lots of media work about scientology and, and also now doing a documentary where she goes to a different person's house of people who've left the church and talk about their stories with the, the church and she has so many stories about tom cruise and his dodgy dodgy life and politics that I find it really difficult to look him in the eye yeah if I could sit down with anyone involved in the Church of Scientology I'd love to sit down with John Travolta oh yeah just understand just understand why he's still in it and because they bring it up in that HBO that brilliant HBO documentary The Science of Belief or whatever where they um, there are people that speculate that they had something on him something that they dug up from his early life that they were holding him, kind of they were blackmailing him into staying in the church because of, because exactly. it would tarnish his reputation in Hollywood. Um, yeah, no, fascinating, man. Um, should we go on to our critic quote awards? Yeah. I'm For the sake idea. of time, should we just do best description and savage, most savage quote? Um, what's, yeah. your, what's your best description of this film? Um, my best description is... It's it's a more positive spin on it because it was really it was very difficult to find a negative a negative yeah, negative enough review which I don't think is right I think there should be more criticism for this film yeah but um, but I think this the first bit of this is more important than the matter sure the plot this sorry wrong this is from James Crute from stuff.co.nz brilliant yep excellent. Sure, the pl- plot may be old hat, stolen from any number of 1990s action thrillers, but th- but with it, but ugh, every time that you, I every cannot, single time, I feel like I'm quite an eloquent man. Quote I, awards. <laughs> I, I'm quite an eloquent man, I think it's and I do acting in my spare time. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure, the plot may be old hat, stolen from any number of 1990s action thrillers, but with so much double crossing, dastardly deeds, and breathtaking stunt stump work, you'll hardly care as the near two and a half hours fly by. I take issue with the last bit because I did look at my watch. Yeah, I, I, I was like shuffling. I was ready to leave yeah. towards the end. Even though like the last fight scenes were really epic, I was getting bored. Yeah, there was a moment in the, there was a moment, I don't want to go on the, this too much, is that there was a moment in the, in the film because there's the last action sequences is sort of split into three different, so not three different, three different groups are trying to solve three different problems of how to defuse these bombs. Um, and it's like, it's like goes into about 15, 20 minutes in and you, and the, you look at the countdown clock because there's always a countdown clock and it's like five, ten minutes remaining. It was like five, and it was 15 minutes maximum time. It's like f- five minutes has amassed in this 25 minutes of, of screen time. Yeah. Silly. Yeah, um, ridiculous. Anyway. One of, my, one of the funniest bits in, just as a side before I do my best description, there was a moment in the film in my cinema where everyone burst out laughing because it's the scene where Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill jump out of the plane into the storm and it's a really clever kind of technique where like they get struck by lightning in the storm and kind of all the sound cuts out kind of like if you kind of go underwater and you can't really hear anymore or you kind of your eardrums burst or something like that and as the lightning struck and all the sound went out in the cinema 
this one guy somewhere in the middle of the screening went, wow. <laughs> 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 uh, Everyone burst out laughing. I love that so much. Oh, so funny. Anyway, my best description is from Amelia Navascues from Triple J. And she said... That's a band, isn't it? Goes No, I think it's actually a radio station in New Zealand. Uh, oh, that's Because Triple J do that thing like a version where they get people like Flume to cover famous tracks. Uh, it's really, I think it's really popular on YouTube if it's the same Triple J. Um, it says, goes to show that despite being a big, beefy blockbuster, you can still do something that's well shot and considered. And I do think that's fair. I think that if you're ignoring all the story aspects of it, it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. It has some of the most satisfying um, fight sequences I've ever seen in the film. Um, and, and it does look quite stunning all the way through. Yeah, especially the last sequence with the last sequences were just shot in Saudi Saudi Arabia. They just look it just the Vista, I would say the Vistas are more more impressive than are in any bo- the Bond films recently. Like mm. Spectre especially, not Skyfall because that was beautiful. Anyway, what's your uh, most savage critic quote? Um quick, Tony Macklin from Tony Macklin on that. IMF is d- what the fuck. That's it. IMF is what IMF is WTF. <laughs> Which I quite like. <laughs> I quite like that. Just sim- simple, straight to the point. That's his review. That's it. That's, it, that's it. That's that's what happens when you're too lazy to write a review after going to watch a film. So you just text the website. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I'm, mine, I'm, yeah. My most savage quote is from Keith Ulrich of Slant Magazine. And it says, it misses no opportunity to prop up Cruz's indomitable earthy, earthly ego while his character runs, jumps, falls, fistfights, skydives, and clambers up rope and cliff in the service of what exactly? <laughs> because it, like they try and explore his conscience in this film. In seemingly every Mission Impossible film, no one knows who's good, no one knows who's bad. The US government is completely corrupted. <laughs> who who is he serving, and what purpose is he serving? I always there's always a point in the Mission Impossible films where where suddenly the IMF cons- consisting of only four members is on their own and is and is and and cannot talk to the CIA or the US government. And where do they get the motivation to carry on? Yeah. Like yeah. And there was an interesting plot point earlier in the film where Henry Cavill's like Henry Cavill's trying to convince Angela Bassett's character um that um Tom Cruise has got turned evil because the American government's turned turned their back on him and Angela Bassett believes it. And then what does Angela Bassett do? turns on Tom Cruise and says, you've not got any support from the US government. Who are these idiots? That, a, are writing the script and B, why is Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise can still work in the US government? No, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. No, it is. It is How it is many ridiculous. CEOs of the CIA do you need to convince that the IMF is a good thing before they inevitably die in the next film? <laughs> and why would, the, why would the IMF continue to do all of this shit? Surely this stuff would happen, the corruption would be dug out and then Tom Cruise and his team would be like, right, to make sure this isn't happening again, let's put these safeguards in place. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Alec, um, to Alec Baldwin, though, who tried to have a fight scene with Henry Cavill earlier <laughs> on the film. And, and get stabbed in the back. No, but then I think, bit, <laughs> I think he tried to punch and it didn't look like a punch. It looked like he'd just done a really wet slap on Henry Cavill. It was and I, really, it I actually was cracked really out with funny. laughing. He was just like, Alec Baldwin is trying to go toe-to-toe with Henry Cavill. It was really funny trying to see Alec Baldwin have a fight. <laughs> um, what would you rate it out of 10 then? Oh, here's the question. Um, I... I am going to say, I don't know. The, the Do you prob- want me? I've got mine. Do you, you say me? yours? I'm six out of 10. Six out of 10. Because I think that it was well shot. It, again, like we said, beautiful action scenes, but the plot was simultaneously wafer thin, but extremely convoluted. And all the emotional aspects of this film felt ridiculously forced. And I know that that's not how it has to be in a Mission Impossible film because in Mission Impossible 3, I think it's phenomenal the way they deal with the emotional intensity. So yeah, six out of 10 from me. I I wasn't impressed. I'm going to give it a five, which is lower. Oh, wait. Is that... It's that may be the lowest hell, it's anyone's... not Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> no, it isn't Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, but Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, as much as it was, as much as it was problematic, like there was 
there was the ideas of a plot and it's also Jurassic Park. Whereas Mission Impossible means a lot more to you than it does me. Yeah. And I was just like, really? This is this is the plot? This is, and this is the film. This is the action film that everyone's decided to turn around and go, this is the best spy film we've seen in years. Really? Yeah, I think that's also my, my problem. Like, when turning on, turning on Rotten Tomatoes today to do this Rotten Tomatoes review and seeing 263 or 264 positive reviews for the film and eight negative reviews. I was like, what? No. And that's what we, that's what we do at this podcast. We go against the grain. Go against culture. And we, um, we weed out, you know, we give films the real reviews, the real ratings. You said that with so much enthusiasm and verb. Tough stuff. <laughs> Tough stuff indeed. Right. So we, we've just finished the 10 hours podcast that we've just done. <laughs> yeah, this one's a bit longer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think we need to uh, not get so excited about our news stories next week. Oh, well, but I, I think it's really important to have the conversation about James Gunn. I think it's. I think it's. We, good to, yeah, we did. We got deep I think, with that. I think we that's really important. That. And um, if anyone like to talk about it with us at all, please um, drop us a message. We'd love yeah, to know your opinions. We are. We are um, on Facebook at Fifty Two Week Film Project. We're on Twitter. Our Twitter needs some love, so please try. Please, it would be amazing if people tweeted us. Yeah, same. Um, same again on Instagram, Fifty Two Week Film Project. We also we've had a few people. Um, chat to us on Anchor which is really cool we've yeah. had some people drop us audio messages to say that they're listening in they're enjoying the podcast so shout out to you guys that's really awesome yeah it made me feel um, very emotional to, to know that there are people out there other than our mates listening like yeah exactly I think it's really important and I really like the fact that people have said that our discussions are really are really good and they really enjoy listening to them because I that's what we wanted to do is exactly. we wanted to do, do something that's fun but also informative but also like just having fun about films with my mates. And, and that's, think, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, I, I think um, adding the news in is kind of, that seems to have got a good response from people, especially yep. people who haven't necessarily watched the film of the week. They, they, they still tune into that. Um, so next week, um, we've promised, we promised the community a double bill, Will, because we missed last week. We did, yes. And that's convenient because there's two films that we both are really excited about coming out well, one's coming out today. I think they're both out today, actually. Yeah, I, there was an option um, for me to watch the, watch Mission Impossible or the film. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, next week, we're going to be reviewing Ant-Man and the Wasp, Woo! which is finally out in the UK. Um, and we're also going to review the Teen Titans movie oh, so uh, because it looks hilarious. It looks like it could be doing the same thing that the Lego movie did by having kind of genuinely funny satirical humour that is targeting adults, but also is good enough for a kid's film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we'll do a big bumper kind of family superhero episode. Um, it probably won't be aimed at family listening because <laughs> the more I think about it, the more we'll probably have a few beers. Yeah. And I reckon the second half of this bumper podcast, whether we record two or whether we roll it into one massive one, um, we'll probably be quite pissed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, but the it'll good probably thing be is, a drunk podcast. The the weird thing is, is that we've we've noted in this podcast that um, I swear a lot in general life, but apparently on the podcast, my mouth is you know, my mouth is swear at all in the podcast. Do you? <laughs> we've actually been flying under the radar with the podcast being listed as clean on iTunes. I, um, there's two episodes that are R-rated. Yeah, but that's day. because we did that. Oh, we, like what? We have to make the conscious decision. This is really fucking boring. Basically, <laughs> basically, we haven't been caught for swearing yet. So iTunes, <laughs> don't crossed. slap us on the wrist. Um, but thank you very much for listening, guys, and we will see you next week. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>